This is Coda Radio, episode 58, for July 15th, 2013. Everyone, you're listening to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode's brought to you by our fine sponsor, GoDaddy.com. I'll tell you more about GoDaddy as the show goes on. We stream this episode live over at JBLive.tv on a Monday morning. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Oh boy, it's a Michael. It's a it's a Mickey Michael, right? That was Mickey, right? I got it this it was time. Mickey, yes! yes, yes. I'm not sure I'm if you've gotten better. Zimmerman. Oh crap! Uh, oh, you got to bring the pre-show drama into the big show and in the main okay. show. That's Don't... okay. Eddie, Eddie's coming up later, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got Ed and Putin on the line. They'll they'll be calling. You know, actually, this is episode 58. I meant to talk to you about this on the pre-show, but I was thinking for 60 we should do a call-in episode. Wouldn't that be fun to celebrate? The big six zero. If my buddies Edward and Vlad will call in, I'll put it. A, I'll put a note in with them. I got them on Bit Message. I'll send them a Bit Message. I think we should do it. Okay, that might be fun. All right. Well, anyway, so uh, this is episode fifty eight. That's a little bit ways off. But now you guys know you'll have to show up live in uh, two weeks, assuming my wife doesn't have a baby, or I've <clears throat> assuming I've gotten and, some sleep between then. In, and- the, in the case that there's a baby, we'll probably pre-record one. Probably. Probably. Uh, so we got a big show today, I assume. I don't actually know what we're going to talk about today, but I do know we're going to start with some feedback. So should we just dig right in? Let's just dig right in because we got some meaty feedback. Yeah, yeah. Especially around the uh, H1 visa stuff, right? Yeah. So we we got a lot of um, interesting feedback regarding the H1B visa stuff. It, I'm surprised about how many Coder Radio listeners are very against the H1B uh, passing that right, allowing okay. th- this trend of uh, um, foreigners coming to the United States or Western European con- countries and working. Given that on other issues, the political allegiance of the listenership seems to be a little different. Um, now there was a lot of they took our jobs. There, there was a good deal of that. Um, there was a few folks who've come over on visas that privately shared. The types of horror stories that I was describing. Which oh, really? Yeah. Um, what really took me aback was that almost no one wrote in in a like I thought for sure you know the word protectionist would come up right as a label for you and I right. or more me. No one went there. No one was totally f- for this. So it makes me wonder. It, we, we've had some pretty big disagreements on the show you and i personally but also um you know the listenership you know many things half the audience is split one way and the other half is split the other way yeah particularly on the issues of proprietary software and piracy Mm -hmm. yet on this issue it's almost totally unified hey my sound card's working that was rms uh so here's what i think uh and Gosh, I do not intend for this show to be political. This is just this is something that is impacting the software industry. That's why we are talking right. about it. Legitimately. Well, that's the only reason I yeah I bring it up legitimately. But there I, is, 
I yeah. think what we are highlighting here is there's a lot of things that are happening at a federal level that the general con- the populace does not agree with. I think you could there's a few major topics you could look at right now. Um, takes note. Uh, well, I think the latest stat is 55% of the public believe he is a whistleblower, but none of the political uh, echelon think that he's a whistleblower, right? They think right. he's a criminal. Uh, cannabis. Uh, I, uh, the majority of the United States believe that cannabis legalization should take place, yet it doesn't happen. Immigration reform. The majority of the United States wants some kind of immigration reform, but what we want is not what we're getting. And it, it's it's almost like this on every key issue these days. And I think there's just becoming a wider and wider disconnect. Which and, That's an interesting point, too, because a lot of the folks who wrote in against the H-1 visas also follow that up with, though they do support a path for citizenship for other types of workers. Right. It's not that it's yeah. not that people don't want a resolution to the problem. It's that people want the right resolution. And it is possible. And I think part of it, too, is this community is a little better connected, a little better informed. And so they're a little more aware of the negatives. And they're not just they're not just absorbing only the talking points that maybe certain politicians are putting out there. And so they're a little more critical, too. Yeah, I'm not I, I'm really not sure. I, I, I'm very shocked because, you know, we did get a couple of what I would consider racially inappropriate. Where's your soundboard? What was it? What was? What do I have one for racial stuff? You have one for inappropriate. Oh, you're right. I, I do. There we go. Inappropriate <laughs> comments, uh, which I thought were kind of silly and stupid, but because they are silly and stupid. Oh, except for I'm not recording that track, so the people in the recording won't get to hear it. Well done. I know. Well, it's because it wasn't working. Professionalism at Jupiter Broadcasting these days. (laughs) It wasn't working before the show. (laughs) Hang on. Let me see if I can do it live. Inappropriate. There you go. I'll have to switch. I'll switch it to the other audio device. It's it's strange, though, because first of all, the IT admins, who I'm not sure why they listen to the show, but good job, were a little more passionate on this issue. Isn't that interesting? Well, I right. you know I wonder if it I wonder if you know we were talking about it in the context of development jobs. But I wonder if it's hitting admins harder. Yeah. yeah well, let me see now. This, uh, I I think it potentially could because um, I hope people don't take offense to this, and uh, I hope it's not considered inappropriate. There we go. There we go. Uh, but uh, oh, a Windows certified admin is sort of like probably the easiest sort of. IT job to outsource because there's a lot of training programs around that. There's sort of, you know, uh, a Windows certified admin is sort of a commodity. And uh, you could probably pretty easily, well, if you just needed somebody to sit in the back room, there's really no reason you need, you know, anybody in particular. It's just, it's a pretty set of standard skills. Well, send your email to chris at jupiterbroadcasting.com. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. No, and I, th- I think we should move off off this. It's just, uh, you know, this is something, if you do write your congressman, very interesting that it seems like almost across the aisle, there's agreement here. Yeah. 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 Well, at least by the citizens. At least by, what's funny, at least by the people it's actually going to affect, right? Yeah. By, by the people who would be living in this market. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, can people, you can continue to send us your thoughts. Code radio at jupiterbroadcasting.com. So Alex's email, I can actually just sum it up pretty quickly. Okay. Um, he's well, interested in getting in. You don't, yeah. you don't want to read it because he goes on about how great we are. I understand. Oh, I understand. All right. Let's, let's massage Chris's ego. Let's no, no. It. I'm just saying. I mean, he says he loves the prism coverage on Unfiltered. You know, that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. We don't have to read that. We, don't, okay. we, we won't mention that. Uh, are you sure? Are you going to be okay? 
I'll be all right. So basically, uh, he's interested in getting into mobile game development. Wants to know where to start, if I'd recommend iOS or Android. I'd recommend whichever you have access to and prefer. Um, My recommendation would be, depending on your game, if you can try and do it in something like Corona SDK or HTML5, there are some sacrifices, but it might be worth doing. I say wrong. Leverage the opportunity. Take advantage. Seize the moment. I'm, I'm not even kidding. Make an app. Make a game for Firefox OS. Oh, come on. Dude, this thing, even if it doesn't extremely explode, it's going to do well enough that anybody who has a good app that gets featured on there is going to do well. I think so. I, I actually, first of all, you can install it in Firefox. You can get up, You can get the whole uh, emulator installed in two minutes, and it's up and ready to go for you to try building your apps for. Uh, you're not sort of betting the whole farm on the Firefox OS platform because you can move any work you do there to another mobile device. And if you screw up royally, nobody notices. But if there's a high, there's a high percentage chance that if you make something that people like, it could get featured as like one of the default showcase apps. So. Can you buy a Firefox phone right now? Yeah. Where? Uh, I don't know, but I know they are. There's exactly. the, no, there are there are phones shipping. There are actual okay. phones shipping now. They're not tremendously great phones, but they're enough to do dev work. So between the you know you got you got well so you can get the you can get the uh, emulated environment up in just a couple of minutes just to try it out, right? All right. I mean, I, I haven't. So the issue is Firefox OS has kind of fallen off my radar. Because um, I haven't heard anything. Yeah, no, I, I, I trust me. Uh, I am on record in last as being a pretty big skeptic, actually. Uh, but um, the more I see of it, the more I use. I don't know. It, 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 it's, it's not. It, it, it is definitely iterative. It is. It, it, but that's. It's almost. It's like this safe zone. It's almost this. They're not trying anything so radical that it won't work, right? And there's there is this sort of need that Firefox OS fills where. Um, Maybe the carriers taking a device directly to market themselves instead of through a Samsung partnership or something like that. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, are there, if nothing else, there could be a market of geeks who just load this on their own device. And again, I'm not saying this is going to be like an Android or even a Windows phone size market, but it could be that there's f- few enough perfect apps that right. maybe, I don't know. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to a user's group on Friday. If I get, I'll mention it. If I get laughed out of the room, then we'll know. There you go. Shop.geekphone.com is where you can buy one. How much is a Firefox phone running for these days? I don't know. They have two different models, I think. I played with one of them at Linux Fest Northwest this April. That was kind of the first thing that, that uh, sort of shook me out. Uh, well, it's in, it's in uh, funny money. It's in euros, I think, but 100, 150 euros or 91 euros. So we're, we're not talking too much money. I mean, that's probably what? I don't know. I thought it was, oh, but the, the nicer one's out of stock right now. Actually, that nicer one's pretty nice, though. Don't know, Mr. Dominic. I don't know. I don't, we'll see. We'll see. I, it, you know what? I played with it in the emulator for a couple of hours recently, and I was pretty impressed. I showed it a little bit on last uh, this Sunday. All right, well, I'm done buying things for the next Yeah, years, so. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, no kidding, right? 195 yes. uh, US dollar. Where is my System76, guys? I think you're going to be waiting a little while. I know. You might have to wait till they get to a certain amount of orders. You know what? You know what? I would be helping you if I bought one, because then I would be adding to that number. Yes, you would be helping me. In fact, I think that will be a totally valid uh, thing to tell Angela. Oh, man. If only I didn't have a couple of thousand dollars worth of hard drives I need to buy. I'm telling you. What are you buying? SSDs? No. I'm, 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 this time I'm going around and buying these Enterprise Red Drives, because I've been 
blowing drives out in my array, and I lost two drives at once this last week, and I lost all the data in that array. And the Jupyter Broadcasting data set, plus my own home media connection, grows at about 12 to 15 terabytes every six months. And so it's this constant, I'm constantly struggling with storage. It's this pain in my ass. It's this element to my business that I don't want to have to worry about at all that helps does not help me make better shows, but yet I have to constantly focus on it. Well, let's keep that in mind for our main segment. Okay. All right. Should we get to uh, our next email, Mr. Dominic? Yeah. So Adam shares some uh, source code on GitHub for an Android uh, JB app. What? Now, what's really interesting is he, in his email, he states that he took uh, Shane's Jupyter Broadcasting app, which is also open source, and I guess used it as a vamping point. That's awesome. I haven't had a chance to look at this or run it myself. So if you get a virus, if if, uh, Adam is a lie, I'm sorry. So it's it's it looks like specifically uh, it's for playing the live stream or video or to catch up yeah. on the background stuff using the Hollow theme, the new which is nice. If you have a recent Android device that isn't gummed up with HTC Sense, Aww. you have the Hollow theme. No, you you know you know what you need to do on your HTC One is load Nova Launcher and then it's almost all gone. Oh really? Yeah, and it's it, Nova Launcher is pretty close to stock uh, Android's launcher, which is a couple of niceties. It's I love it. Um, so it's not in the Android Play Store yet. Because it looks like it's pretty new. Like, some of the code was last touched two days ago. Yeah, oh, well, actually, is, five um, hours ago. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so the link we have in the show notes is actually a uh, GitHub repo. So you yeah. can go ahead and look at the source code. Yeah. And the reason I'm including this is we get a lot of, uh, you know, d- developers in school, people training up. Take a look at some source code for something that you know what the end result is supposed to be. Oh, yeah, interesting, right? When you have questions, right? Because it's written in Java. So yeah. it's probably something you're learning <laughs> in school. It's a great idea. And it's on GitHub, so yay. Well, uh, thanks to both Alex and Shane, right? And usually uh, Shane joins us live, but I don't see him in the room today. But usually he's in there. Well, uh, Shane actually was at a meetup with Ed, and uh, Shane's no longer with us. He's uh, he's in jail. <laughs> he's yeah. in federal prison. Yeah, right you now. know, did you see that picture floating around of uh, RMS? It's negative in the freedom dimension did you see that of him and uh and uh Assange floating around maybe uh shane was hanging out with them oh boy yeah he's hiding out hiding out in the uh, ecuadorian embassy yeah yeah uh all right well uh thanks alex i'm looking forward right. if that hits the uh, play store i would love to check it out maybe i can make it an android app pick in the linux action show in the future awesome cool so sean not to be confused with shane shares an open right. source gui prototyping tool called pencil I think this is really cool because one of the first tools of the week we ever had, also coincidentally one of the last, was a balsamic, <laughs> which is basically the same thing. I get it. <laughs> you see what I did there? Yeah, I did. <laughs> it's hard. Hard. I don't use that much stuff. Yeah. I mean, getting them and I'm pretty much I'm okay. Like, Well, now we have one. Yeah, this looks interesting. It's, uh, it's open source and it appears to be, you know, it's open source so you can modify it. It looks like it supports that Linux operating system I hear so much about. You know, I hope that System76 doesn't show up with some kind of Ubuntu. I'll tell you what, I'm actually kind of missing Unity these days because I've been running KDE and GNOME trying to move between the two and they crash a lot. And, and we Unity be, never crashes. We could be Unity buddies. So maybe. You and I might be Unity buddies, buddies in, again. In February, when I finally get my machine, we could be uni- Unity buddies. <laughs> This uh, is why they don't sponsor the show, by the way. Yeah. I, want, I want you to know. That. Yeah, they're like listening like, well, we were thinking about it. About it. it. Yeah. Kind of a prick. <laughs> maybe, Love you, System 76. Maybe they'll win you over yet. You never yeah. know. 
All right, All right, good one. So, so Pencil Project, we'll have it linked in the show notes. We are just flying through today. Yeah. So, Stefan, who I thought I might have just messed up your name, asked about different open source software licenses and what I think. The answer is Apache or BSD. Moving right along. Wow, really? No, come on. You've never used GPL? Never. You well, lie. No, I, I, I don't believe you. I don't believe oh, you. Oh, that is a lie. Wait, I think I have released something under GPL or LGPL. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, if nothing else, LGPL, right? And it was a long time ago. I was in college. Yeah, I get you get it's funny how often I hear this from non GPL developers. I hear a lot of GPL hate, but it seems like to me you can't deny its success. It looks to me like it's been kind of a smash success. But there's a fear, right? If you work as a consultant that you'll one day screw up the license and end up in court because you have to now your client has to open source their work that they paid you for because you made a legal mistake. So I wonder if this is why Canonical has their contributor agreement that gets them so much crap. I don't. Are you familiar with this? I am. So that's the to- yeah. So that's completely on the other side, right? That's- so is that those that them trying to because people call it people basically call the Canonical contributors agreement like a license washer. GPL code comes in, comes in, proprietary yeah. code comes out. Yeah, that, that that's trying to have it both ways. Um, I always wondered when that first came about when they first started using that agreement. Why they didn't just say Apache? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because they're trying, they're trying to protect themselves. Because the GPL does afford a type of competitive protection in that a competitor, if he uses your code, you're both now on a level playing field. Because yeah. there's no secrecy. Yeah. Um, but it feels like Canonical kind of wants it to be, I don't know, it, it always felt weird to me. And what is their answer? Why did they do that, according to them? You know, I've I've read a lot of different things, but mostly it's always in defense of it. Never really a, a, what I have found to be a very good explanation. What I what I've kind of pieced together is that uh, it's just sort of a requirement that they might they might run into with certain mobile carriers. But I don't know if I think that's kind of not totally true because I think the I think the contributor agreement's been around since before, before that, yeah, way before that, yeah. yeah. So, um. I can't, it's honestly one of the things I can't quite square about Canonical. And every time I try to square it, I end up at an answer that leaves me pretty uncomfortable. They want the freedom to be able to take it. um, But they really can't, right? The agreement doesn't let them take it proprietary later. Yeah, um, it gives them certain protections from uh, you going after them. Um, And I, I, I I think it does allow them to relicense it. Because you are transferring copyright to them as well. You're not giving up copyright, but you're like co-copywriting uh, with them, in a sense, I believe. So when you contribute your code, you're essentially co-create, your co-canonical is co-owning it in that implementation. Now, you could go off and use it in your own places, other places. It's all yours. You own all of that. Well, wouldn't they get the same protection if they just said everything's Apache, so we could lock it up later if we want, but so could you? But this... I, I think this, but this lets them take in GPL code and not relicense that GPL code, which solves a bunch of, you know, um, sort of mechanical problems. And I think that's the key part there is they can take in GPL and put out whatever they want. I could have this all wrong, uh, but that's kind of been yeah, what it, I've come to. It just sticks out. So somebody put in the chat this uh, FAQ for the contributor agreement. Oh, it okay. just sounds like. I don't know. It just looks like they're trying to juggle around the GPL. Yeah, like they're trying to they're trying to 
get get the advantages of having an open source community develop yeah. software, but the also the advantages of being a closed source company that owns the stack. I'm not sure why they couldn't just go. Maybe because so much work was already GPL that they couldn't just go Apache. So here's so here's a, here's a question: Can the copyright license agreement be signed without a Launchpad account? So there is okay. So yeah, there is a copyright license assignment. Um, oh, so you're actually assigning copyright at that point. Canonical so you're both done. You don't own it then. Canonical both uses and distributes software around the world to other organizations. Users, blah blah blah. Um, so here's an interesting question: If you're then assigning them copyright, could you claim that as a donation on, on your taxes? So who, okay, number eight: Who owns the copyright? Here we go. The existing con- con- uh, con- contribution owner continues to own their copyright. This is usually yourself or employer. You're, you retain ownership of the copyright in your contribution and have the same rights to use or license the contribution which you would have without entering into the agreement. Right. So you still own the copyright. You can use it anywhere else, any way you want. They also just get, like, for their implementation, copyright ownership or something. So it's not like they get so they don't fully own the copyright to it, but they own it in the context in which it's being used for the agreement you signed. So Gray Rolf has the bottom line here. Go ask a lawyer. <laughs> right, right. Well, you yeah, see, this is a problem that Firefox OS does not because have. Because it sounds example. to me like you're donating it to Canonical now, which you are. Donations yeah. are are tax deductible as charity, but then then you're kind of not. I don't. Aren't you donated to almost any open source project though? In a way, and I guess. See, that's what they they're trying to front as we're an open source project that you're contributing to but then we take it in actually for Stefan for your email this is why I tend to go with the patching BSD because they're they're dirt simple um, and you don't end up in these weird you know so right now Stefan I don't know what the contributor agreement with Canonical actually means and I don't think Chris does either no I, I, I don't really understand it and and part of it is because I've never really I've never had to because it doesn't directly affect me but i think about it you know more and more these days in the context of uh mirror and mobile and all that kind of stuff yeah i'm, I'm not even sure and has this license ever be tri- ever been tried in court i don't think so right so that's the other side of it will this be upheld yeah because it sounds really complicated yeah 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 um, definitely attorney time if you if you're gonna get serious I wonder, and we're way off track here, but I wonder if when they instituted this, did they lose a lot of contributions? I bet. I mean, I know yeah. I don't, or 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 it just has prevented a lot. I know I've seen a lot of discussion around right. people who don't sign up because of it, and it could be one of the things that kind of slows them down. And where there's other, you know, for example, I don't mean to keep bringing this up, but like Firefox OS does not have this misunderstanding right. around it. And for me, to me, it looks like. I can go over to the Firefox website. Within two minutes, I have the emulator up, and uh, and then a few minutes after that, um, you know, I'm contributing code. I don't think Android does either. It's it's mostly parts of it are Apache and parts of it are different flavors of the GPL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, so that was really convoluted. You know, maybe we've had a viewer or listener out there who's like had to process and and go through this. If they could let us know, Coder Radio at JupiterBroadcasting.com. We'd love to hear your insights. And I'm sure 99% of the time this isn't an issue for anybody, right? But it, it seems it, it like... It seems like one of those things where, like, people could contribute, like, their calendar app, for example, or, you know, some yeah. core... Which they're, they are taking submissions for some of these core applications, what I would consider a core mobile application. Okay, so let's say they blow up major huge, right? They they go Facebook on us. Don't you think then you're going to have this, this whole line of people out the door that want to sue the crap out of Canonical because they want a piece of that pie because it's my calendar app that I created. And no, that's this probably is the- what it is. Yeah, it's probably just pure indemnification for everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, 
All right, then, moving on. All right. Email from Brian, right? Yes. You want me to read this one? Indeed. All right, Brian writes in, uh, Hi, guys, I really appreciate you laying bare your educational credentials, or lack of, in the I'll last show. Like Brian. I know, do we? I don't even remember talking about this. We, you, yeah, we both, uh, we both did. My own university education and career are in a field that, while very interesting, is rather unrelated to IT. Don't worry, Brian. I think just about every guy I've worked with in IT has a field. Basket weaving. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of my good friends uh, heads up um, an IT shop for a really well-known camera company, and uh, he's their uh, one of their head tech support guys, and he has a major in. Um, English, I believe. <laughs> he went to school to be an English teacher. <laughs> uh, that said, I'm a longtime listener of Coder Radio, Linux Action Show, and TechSnap, and an enthusiast hobbyist interested in building or improving my skills. As while I probably, uh, while I'm probably too old now to compete with the young blood, I do like to imagine that I'm also building a bit of a fallback. Should I find myself in need of a career? or new direction someday. To hear the two of you speak of your own experiences striking out on your own with your unique backgrounds and knowing that you both have become respective voices in the community has been one of the more inspirational things I've seen coming out of the JB Network. Wow, thanks, Brian. Uh, your honesty and openness, not just about the struggles, but also the successes, are qualities that are not only commendable, but which make your show reputable, or, or, uh, relatable sorry, and compelling. Please keep it up, and thanks for all your hard work. P.S. I really like the outro music. Wow, thanks, Brian. Uh, the outro music is called uh, Clutter, by the way, from uh, Mr. Ronald Jenkins. Gotta love him. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure how respected we are, uh, given some of the emails we get. <laughs> uh, d- definitely a different definition of respect. Well, that's okay. Yeah, yeah that depends. Um, yeah, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Brian. I mean, do, do you have anything to add to this? No, I mean, that's why we try to be, yeah. uh, um, I don't want to say uncomfortably honest, but brutally honest is because um, that's sort of the value we can offer yeah. is that we've been through some of it. And uh, I, I know that when I've tuned into other shows and heard people kind of bearing it out, bearing it out there, it's been very beneficial to me. So It's interesting, actually, how many uh, podcasters in the development space actually hold liberal arts degrees of some kind. Yeah, yeah. Or, or non-computer science degrees. You think that's because of their age and people just didn't have it figured out back then? Like we didn't know what to we didn't know what to do with people that liked computers, so send them off in this direction, and maybe they'll land on. I the mean, feet. my my, and it's funny to this day, my school still doesn't have a proper computer science course, right? So I would have had to. I mean, this is, maybe it's a little too specific, but my school divided into different sub like departments or whatever. Ooh. <laughs> so if you if you wanted to get the closest thing they had to a computer degree, you had to drop out of the science and liberal arts school and go to the business school. Yeah, exactly. Which had an entirely different first two-year ramp-up. Right. So it was, I mean, you got the same, it's the same school, same, it's a Ryder University. Great, good school. You should go there. But I I guess, yeah, I mean, I've noticed, because I get their alumni catalog, they are going more vocational with their courses now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I I think, maybe you're right, maybe it's just the way education is changing you and I are well, certainly both of us are probably more traditional type of education. I know you high school, I went to university. Well, it's but. funny in the context of yesterday or yesterday, I wish last week's um, yeah. uh, discussion where we talked about how um, Google and to a degree, some to some degree, Microsoft 
where they will sort of say, what's your, do you have a diploma? What's your diploma? And oh, no diploma. Thanks. We'll talk to you later, which doesn't quite sync up because if you have people who are of the age to have very good experience, you know, a, a, a large degree of experience in the industry, they might not have a qualifying right. diploma. So it doesn't really, it's like this funny mismatch of requirements versus reality of the workforce. And uh, maybe that's changing now. I think it's changing. I know local to me is Monmouth University, but they've taken a really drastic approach. Uh, they've separated software development and computer science. Hmm. So computer science is a sub-major of math. Oh, okay. And I know this because I've interviewed plenty of students from there, and the computer science majors are kind of worthless. No offense. How, how would that be offensive, by the way? But the software development majors are pretty good. They're teaching them real-world skills. Um, and I'm just wondering, I don't know, I think this is a bigger topic for a different day, but the difference between general and vocational education. Mm. Yeah. It's, now, ha- having said that, I think my English degree was definitely worth it, but it made those first that first year harder than it needed to be. Having worked a few years in, uh, in education at the uh, K through 12 level, I'll right. tell you, it, uh, it's just it's constantly playing a game of catch up for uh, schools uh, in terms of um, skill sets, in terms of books, in terms of uh, software that they can buy, in terms of hardware. They there is in no way that they are set up to take advantage of the evolving tech industry. Everything about their political structure, the financial structure, their educational models, the, yeah. the, the supplies, everything is designed around around topics that move much more slowly. I mean, which is fine, right? I, and you know, I. I think I'm one of the few people left who still thinks a general education is worth something. Um, right. Having said that, it, it doesn't hurt to pick up some vocational stuff along the way, right? Yeah. Because ultimately it's the vocational knowledge that's going to get you a job. Right. So I'm not sure where that leaves uh, Brian. but There you go. All right. Well, uh, before we jump into our main topic of the week, now that we've gotten the feedback done, I want to stop and thank this week's sponsor. GoDaddy.com, sponsoring the Coda Radio program because they know that you guys are the type of audience they need to talk to. And here's an example. Here's how I roll. Now, uh, I know that you might want to just throw something up online one of these days. And one of the great things about GoDaddy is when you get to that point where you're ready to start, it's really just a matter of a few clicks and you're going to be up and running. So go over to GoDaddy.com and when you're checking out, like say, for example, you want to throw something up online, go grab a quick host. Don't mess with, don't fuss with it. Just get over there to GoDaddy.com. Use the code GO32OFF4. GO32OFF4 when you're checking out. You'll get 32% off that hosting plan. That's not a bad way to go. And I got to tell you, you log into your GoDaddy account. You go to their little administration panel. It's got all the little things you might want to do on your new host. It's, it's adorable. And it's extremely easy to use. One button deploy of WordPress within a few minutes that set up the MySQL database. It's created the tables of the user accounts. It's copied over the latest installation of WordPress. It's automatically linked up and ran through all the first part of the WordPress setup. And it's ready to go for you. You want to talk about saving time? You want to talk about... Remember I was just talking about how I have to focus on this hard drive problem constantly. And that's not what I want to focus on. This is the same kind of thing when it comes to getting your project online, getting up a site, anything like that. Let GoDaddy handle that stuff. Also, if you want to get a .com, we've got a great deal for you. Use the code CODER249 when you check out at GoDaddy, and you'll get that .com for $2.49 bones. $2.49 bones, people. That's less than a lot of apps these days. It's kind of crazy. Uh, and then when you're uh, getting that .com, maybe you uh, 
Maybe you don't want $2.49. Maybe instead, you'd prefer to save on the private registration. Use the code FREE5 when you check out. FREE5! And you'll get free private registration for a year. So that's go 32 off 4 to save 32%. FREE5 for free private registration. Or code 249 to get a .com for $2.49. I'm giving them all to you this week because I have faith that you will make the right choice. Now the ball is in your court, dear listener. And thanks to GoDaddy.com for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. All right, Mr. Dominic, here's what I know about our main topic. And it has my interest peaked, but I literally know nothing more than this. Data protection in the cloud. Did you not read my expansive and detailed notes? I, uh, I did, and that's what was in there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, our, our crack team of uh, pre-show people has been working hard. Don't you like the uh, copious production staff we have here at Joe Whatever Broadcasting? Yes. <laughs> really, uh, you know, the guy just the kid just drove from Washington State to New Jersey with a cup of coffee. It was kind of cold when he got it here. Yeah, I don't worry. I've yelled at him about that. <clears throat> so, you know, I hate to bring up good old Ed, and when I say hate, I mean love too. Right. Ed's, shall we say, story time in Russia? Can we call it that? <laughs> Or I should say story time in Hong Kong, because that's where he did it. That's where it started, yeah. That's, that's where, where it started. Yeah. Has brought up some interesting questions for folks like me who love the cloud. I got it. Ed's Red Diary. Because, right, both Russia and... and it's, a, it's a little red book by Ed. Yeah. <laughs> it's very fancy. Has it gotten you thinking about protecting your data in the cloud a little bit? So, I'm honestly less concerned with my data than anything else, because I'm a pretty... The stuff I have on the cloud that's personal isn't super personal, if that makes any sense, right? Yeah, no, it does, yeah. Like, they, like go too. ahead and spy on me on Spotify. I listen to an embarrassing amount of Glee, <laughs> right? Like, there's, I'm, it's not really a secret. There's, there's no, you know, there's nothing oh, no. <laughs> damning. Well, that's pretty damning, but there's nothing else. <laughs> well, you just outed yourself right there, so you know, everybody also, knows. Yes, and I'm starting to, through uh, osmosis from the fiancé, like country, which is disturbing oh, as hell oh yeah. oh now if anything is if anything's gonna flag you inappropriate that's it right <laughs> there not not too many country fans in new jersey i can assure you that's a jackass barack <laughs> all right so but okay here is my proposal to you what if yes yes a thousand times yes <laughs> no no not that kind of proposal what if um, it's sort of like early days on the computer where I remember the same conversation with my grandpa. I don't store anything important on the computer because the hard drive might die. I don't store anything that I actually care about. I have it printed out. That was literally the conversation we would have. What if it's kind of like that where in 10 years from now, it's almost so integrated. It's like it's essentially sort of like SkyDrive and Dropbox Expander where they're integrated at the file system level. Everything you do essentially gets synced to the cloud. Every website you visit, every bookmark, every history, every extension. Oh, wait, that happens now. And what if it's like one of these things where it's sort of this gradual process where in 10 years down the road, everything about Michael Dominic is now in the cloud. Every project, every bit of revenue, every are, are bit of information. Are you suggesting that there's some sort of hive mind and I could be assimilated? Well, I would think that maybe has already happened, but we just don't want to admit it to ourselves. I would say, so I was actually approaching this from a different perspective. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't mean to for, derail, but for, this has just been, this is what. No, no. From my, a personal data perspective, I'd say almost everything of mine is in the cloud, right? All my email. Yeah. Um, most, most things I write that aren't legal, do, actually legal documents are still in the cloud, right? Because they're, they're an email. Do you have a Mint account? I do not. Oh, I do. 
but I do use online banking. Right. That's technically in the cloud, right? But no, that's absolutely in the cloud. I, I, I guess I don't have much that's not. I mean, all my movies are in the cloud. Everything's in the cloud. I got to wash my mouth out because we said in the cloud uh, one too many times. Is being hosted on a remote location controlled by another entity. It's on a hosted provider's uh, secured private network that uh, has managed it centrally for me. What I was thinking more (laughs) about is, you know, I've been pitching uh, Heroku and Azure pretty strong. Right. Because it's simpler. But given, you know, the little red story time, that might not be super viable for a lot of folks, right? You mean people outside the U.S.? Or what do you mean? Well, I mean, I think if you're a British company hiring an American software developer and they're like, let's host this on Azure, you'll be like, no. Right. Right. I mean, at that at this point, would you feel safe? Are you worried about corporate espionage? What are you worried I'm about? I'm not even worried about espionage. I'm worried about accidental leaks of oh, okay. private information. I'm not, I'm not assuming isn't, any kind of Isn't conspiracy. that an interesting aspect of this? So you're saying yeah. because human beings have access to this information, there's potential for a leak is essentially what you're saying. I'm saying if the data is being stored, it could be leaked. Yeah. Yes. Well, we we would seem to have a pretty good example that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, um, hard to I know this disagree. is a little specific to the U.S., but we have uh, healthcare laws, right? Yeah. That are very, very hard on tech people and how you have to handle client data if that client happens to be a doctor, nurse, or some kind of – even in New Jersey, a chiropractor has to follow the same HIPAA compliance, we call it. Right. I'm not sure if that's a federal thing or if that's just New Jersey. No, no, that's a federal thing. It's a federal thing, right? So it's it's all over the place. Yeah. I mean, most cloud providers are not HIPAA compliant anyway, but right. You know, Microsoft in particular has been going in that direction to get those kind of certifications. But what does that mean in a world where there's almost certainly backdoors into all these servers, right, and all these providers? Are, are we back to hey guys, let's go get a colo? I mean, it's ironic because a few months ago, I decided to not do colos, right? I decided to get rid of colo. Right, yeah, we just had that conversation, didn't we? We just had that conversation, and I I made the cost benefit, and I went to the cloud. Now, this is interesting because this uh, this element of it would never enter our discussion at all. We talked about uh, lock-in. We talked about, you know, uh, maybe getting expensive down the road. Uh, We talked about having to manage your own system and how you have to, you know, it takes time away from what you want to focus on. But we didn't talk about backdoors and people getting access to it and things like that i I worry see i'm more of a paranoid sob because i'm not so worried because because to me all of this all of this i hate to use all these buzz terms but all this seems like a big data problem to us that seems like right now it seems like oh it's it's an impossible amount of data they could never process it all and to me i look at that and go that seems like a five-year problem yeah, I think we've proven they can store and process all this data. So to what extent do we then worry about automated processes where maybe they audit your Dropbox for copyright violation or maybe they audit right. your GitHub account for uh, patent infringement? When do we start or or could somebody, maybe it's not even the federal government, but could somebody set up a system that could go through and scan these hosted systems maybe through some sort of agreement with the federal government or something like that, or with the company directly, right. and, and automatically find these types of things that normally would never be discovered. And to me, that, I know that sounds crazy, but that to me doesn't seem like it's more than five, six, seven years away. To me, that sounds very technically possible. Um, obviously, I don't think very few private organizations could pull that off. Yeah, YouTube content ID for the entire freaking exactly. internet. 
I, I'm more worried about mistakes, though. To be honest, I'm more you know no no malicious intent, no um, you know no big brother just you know an admin somewhere thinks it'd be real clever to leak a bunch of data because he's getting fired, right? Or even an admin screws up a script and leaks a bunch of data. That's yours. Uh, we co- we've covered a few stories on TechSnap where. You know, admin misconfigures web server and company's uh, documents directory is publicly available to the web. And let's be, let's be honest, it wouldn't be the first time, particularly at Microsoft, <laughs> someone made a minor error that really screwed things up. I'm, ju- I'm just saying, like, it, it, it sounds, I, I know it sounds like I'm talking about, you know, Dudley Do-Right levels of incompetence here, but I'm pretty sure it happens, right? Right. And, and, and we've seen cases in the past where on a much smaller scale, this has happened. But now with so much more data, I mean, think about it. when you when you put something in Dropbox, you almost, I mean, not almost, you literally trust them with your data, um, you know, unequivocally. Yeah. What would happen? Could, could a rogue Dropbox employee decide to, maybe he starts auditing people's Dropbox for embarrassing material to blackmail them. It's, it's all saying, possible. Yeah. That's, that's kind of more on your side of things. You have, maybe, you have, yeah. you have, you have, you have mistakes that can happen. You have, uh, in, intent, you know, intentional things that can happen. There's a, there's a, you are opening yourself to a wider range of, of potential things that could go wrong. But I want to take a moment at this point to point out that you're also just as likely to screw up the security or the configuring or not patch because you get busy yourself. Right, so you're not just hosting it yourself does not solve the problem, but it does reduce your threat to that particular type of scenario. You agree? I, I agree, but reduced by what factors? The problem is we don't. There hasn't been a big that we know of quote cloud disaster yet. What wouldn't it seem inevitable at some point somebody's going to screw something up? I mean, we had an instance a couple of years ago uh or, or right when about when TechSnap started where EC2 actually lost data. And people Yeah, actually, that was uh well la- what was it last year? It was yeah. right when we started this show EC2 was down for about 2 days. Yeah. But and, in, and I, yeah. in that case EC2 actually, you know, people had, couldn't recover any files. Um, uh, you know, what's to prevent that from happening again? It seems almost more like when, not if. Do you know what I'm really afraid of? It's not even the data loss. It's that some someone screws up at, and we're picking on Dropbox, but it could just as easily be, in fact, it would probably be SkyDrive, where they accidentally share everybody's folder, entire folder, the root. So all your files are now public. Right. Even, even for an hour. Once it's public, it's public. Right, right, right. yep. Uh, it, it seems like, and I'm even noticing it, like a lot of business folks I, I talk to and work with, more and more data is going into Dropbox in particular that probably shouldn't, right? More tax returns, medical documents, things that you definitely, you might not want people to have. And I don't know, I don't, I mean, I, I'm a little less afraid of, you know, malintent than you. I, I just think incompetence would be the problem. Oop, did we drop? Yeah, the video stream's having some problems. Oh, the video stream. See? You see? That's exactly what I'm talking about. I would say it's not that I'm worried about so much malintent and not to beat this horse, but I'm more worried about the automated systems that the legal structures and, and 
business agreements will put into place. For example, we now have effectively a six strikes and you're out law in the United States where if you violate copyright six times, the major ISPs have all worked together without any laws being passed, although they did have help from the Obama administration, but they have colluded together to set up jointly a six strikes law. This, this type of this type of arrangement could be extended to anything to to to, to any kind of I I I I worry about <clears throat> maybe because I get bit by it about once a week. YouTube content ID getting applied to every hosted service out there. Anything that can be indexed, it's going to be legally. People are going to if you have the ability to index it, index it, and they'll make the argument that you then also have to check to see if it's compliant. And if it's not compliant, maybe it gets flagged. Maybe GitHub gets an automated takedown notice. From this bot that says, hey, you need to take this down, and then you get an email saying your project's been taken down because it was flagged for content ID violation. And I just – I worry about a world where that's actually possible, and it seems like the solution to that is not to participate in these shared resource systems. Right. I, I think it's just going to come down to certain things are going to have to be in-house and certain things you can outsource to the cloud. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's probably just going to be that simple, right? Which is great if you want a colo. I mean, I imagine they've been closing down pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, you got your square spaces out there, they're eating up a lot of it. Um Yeah. And uh I well maybe we'll see. I think the Prism stuff has made me sort of reevaluate. I have this last week rolled my own uh internal chat server so that we were just just on the land. I I look at it as if I can have it local to any degree, that's better for performance, better for security, and better for long-term viability. Because I was, you know, I was a big Google Talk user, and the fact that they're moving away from XMPP kind of bummed me out a little bit. And I just kind of realized that these hosted solutions and services can just kind of change right out from underneath me, and I really have no say. I don't know. So what's the solution? Are you going to roll your own? Yeah, I did. I rolled my own chat server. Yeah, yeah I did. I uh, and I, and uh, so far it's worked great, and I'm I've, I'm rolling my my own Dropbox replacement. I'm just slowly at a time. I'm not like going like crazy, but as kind of the opportunity comes up, I'm just kind of replacing some of these hosted services, not all of it. Like I still will probably use Dropbox for syncing pictures and stuff like that, you know. But I I do kind of I do kind of worry about this this direction we're heading in. Well, it's funny because I I think we got here based purely on convenience. Um, and you know, having your having your data be an operating cost rather than a capital cost, right? So you know, to set up a colo server, you generally have to buy the server first. Which, if you're buying a rack server, can cost you could cost you like a thousand dollars or more. I, I'm wondering if now people will be more willing to swallow that cost again. Other than what stops the guy who wants the colo from getting a secret subpoena? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's that more happen. in your model. <clears throat> that's yeah. what happened to uh, Pinboard, when I think, yeah. when I first started using it, is uh, Pinboard server actually got taken down because the guy in the rack next to them or something like that was seized. It was an accident, right? Yeah, it, yeah. Didn't that happen different. to Instapaper, too? I thought Instapaper had, when New York, when uh, Sandy hit New York, that the, the building was flooded. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. I might be wrong. There might have been something before that, but I know it was... I believe that he had that problem, which, I mean, no one can, you know. What What do you change? And and how far do you take this? I mean, is this something that we're going to worry about for 2013? By the time 2014 rolls about, we've sort of accepted it. 
So I'm not sure what I could really do, right? Uh, you know, I don't have a separate office where I could call up Comcast or Verizon and get corporate internet and run my own servers in a in a back room somewhere. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I mean, I guess I could do that on my house. Mm. But you've you've been down that road. It's awful. I've been down that road, and then of course the reliability of the internet in my house would be, you know, uh, a point of failure. And what am I going to run my own servers for every client? And then am I going to have to worry about I'm managing all these servers and expanding it out? It, it just seems like it gets silly at some point. Right. And why, where, why, do you, why are you stopping at your server hosting? Why aren't you then also considering everything else, the, the tools you're using, the operating system? And it seems like you could take it too far. Right. And then can I no longer trust GitHub or Bitbucket? You, you could keep going and going with this. Right. Right. That's, that's my problem. And I, I to some to some degree, I am saying, yeah, I'm bringing some of that service back home. I am bringing yeah. some of that home. That is what I'm doing, and I'm just going to go back to that model for a while. But that's not really something a lot of people can do either. So what I have always done is I generally try to keep. Um, well, that's not even true though, because it's so now email is Gmail, so it's pretty. I think it might be too late. Yeah, that's what I've been wondering about that too. Because yeah. I'll tell you, I the other thing about me, and this see, this is just me being paranoid, but I get a lot of email from outside the U.S. I correspond with a lot of people from outside the U.S. All of that would probably technically follow under tracking. I correspond um, with them, you know. All well, of that. even even domestic follows under tracking. <laughs> yeah, but they, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't matter. The, the, just, the, yeah, yeah, it's just legal if it's foreign. Right. It's, exactly. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> I mean, I think at some level, and I think what's going to happen is uh, folks who need to be in banking compliance or HIPAA compliance, that's going to be a cost that ends up being passed on the client, right? Um, you know, maybe the chiropractor has to run his own server in his own office. Right. Maybe this is in some ways an opportunity for the market. Or maybe the government just, you know, makes that exception. You have uh, You have people who can... Like I, I literally, I could get back into client service work and I could say, yeah, I'm the guy that's going to help you avoid the problems of the cloud like this. I'll help you set up a server or you'll have hosting providers like, well, you already have like DuckDuckGo and others who are now positioning themselves as we don't store logs. So we don't have anything they can subpoena. Right. This is like their competitive advantage, like their bullet point is we're, we're prism proof. That's just like fine. becoming a competitive all, advantage. All that takes is one one legit piece of legislation where everybody has to store logs forever. Yeah, right. I know. We had Skype in 2008 say, no, nobody can crack our video calls. I mean, or your audio accountant calls. has to hold your taxes for five years if they ever want to. Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. It's, we've seen yeah. where we've had companies that have emphatically stated, no, our entire – Skype said, our network design prevents eavesdropping. And now it comes out that since 2010, they've had full access. The only thing I could think is if you somehow did everything over Tor, but then we've already heard stories where Tor nodes have been co-opted and compromised. Well, and it's horribly slow. Right, and no one would tolerate that performance. Yeah, yeah, there's no way you're going to host something for customers on that. So I wonder what this means for Bitcoin. How so? Well, if you can't trust any of the communication methods, then can you no longer trust the currency? Well, the the currency because it's it's all based on cryptography. I mean, you transmit a you transmit a, a a math question and then you receive an answer, and it's either wrong or right. That's true. 
Uh, I actually wonder if it doesn't kind of see because the thing is, is Bitcoin works fantastic over Tor. Bitcoin works fantastic right. in sort of the back end channels of the internet. Kind of is well, let's I, go I off the grid a little more. For people who are truly concerned about security, compression is going to be a big thing. So if you let's say you want to go over Tor, it's going to be paramount to transmit less data so the times aren't so awful. Yeah, I'm back to the slower internet days. Right, we're back to 56k basically. Yeah. I think I, people have to look more into encryption now too and just consider it. I don't know. I, I've considered PGP for my email just because I, you know, I do client contracts, uh, my own taxes. It, it, there's just a lot that, and I think this goes for just about everybody. Email is kind of the the golden key to everything at this point. Um, think about as a developer, every system you develop, the username is probably someone's email address. And your your um you know you forgot your password solution usually uses their email address right hopefully you're not sending it in plain text so the last two weeks in TechSnap if people go check the show notes uh two weeks ago Alan has a link in there that shows you 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 grant access to your Gmail account through the Google uh, account access thing you're not giving it your password it scans your inbox and tells you the value of your inbox based on the amount of password reset emails that are still in your inbox you've never deleted so mine was like thirty bucks. And then in the most recent week, he showed an, a metadata tool from MIT. You, again, you grant access, not the password. And it shows you all of the data it, it can collect from your metadata. And it, it showed me like past friendships that, you know, groups of friends that, right. you know, how we talked. It, it was really like they, they built a whole picture of my private life through that metadata. And then they showed it in a visualizer. It was pretty, it was pretty interesting. It gave me, it was two real good, like, Here's a dollar value to your inbox, and oh, by the way, here's also all of the information we got about you from your metadata alone, not even reading the contents of the email. And it 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 uh, it struck me. I mean, for, it, it, all of that is just available there for the mining. I mean, 88's putting in PGP. PGP is a good solution. Problem is, both ends have to be using PGP. Right. Uh, which isn't going to happen. <laughs> so... I mean, Snowden couldn't even get uh, Greenswald to use it, or he had to help him do it. So there is, you know, there's new solutions being worked on, but uh, it's nothing that's even close to adoption yet. So, and I don't think people would accept anything that requires them to do anything, or is even a little slower. So I don't know. Maybe this whole data protection thing in the cloud is, you know, if it's in the cloud, it's not protected. Uh, yeah, that's a good way to look at maybe, it. Maybe that's the answer. Yeah. How do you build a business around that? Well, a lot of stuff you don't care, right? I mean, let's be honest, Instagram. Right, okay, good point. They don't need to care. Right, right. Most mobile apps that are for entertainment, who who cares, right, if, if someone's spying on the data? It's when you get into, I, I think, the business and banking side of things, uh, or even the legal side of things, where it gets a little scarier. Interesting to see there's... um. There's uh there's software out there right now that I've been playing with a lot called BitMessage that is uh takes its name a little bit from Bitcoin because it's sort of a shared proof of work math based system and uh it's encrypted from the start and there's no metadata tracking because there's no SMP SMTP or anything like that it's all um P2P and uh it's I I think I'm talking about 80 90 people now through it. People are really checking it out because I think a lot of this the concerns around the cloud because you store everything yourself, it's all encrypted every keystroke and you never have to like load PGP and have a key. It's it's all built into the system and um 
there's no central spot to be tapped because it's all it's all just distributed via this blockchain system and then when you have when you have the cryptological answer you get access to the message it's a little slower though it's like 4 minutes for a message delivery um but i don't know you uh, you see you see now new projects that are like uh the pirate bay one of the pirate bay co-founder guys has launched this um is this kickstarter for a, a private messaging system that's you know their big selling point is that they don't even have access to the messages uh there's an android app there right now called surespot that's open source and offers the same. Options. I feel like there's more, all, more stuff coming up. I feel like this is all going to be a chicken and uh, not a ch- uh, what is it? Fox and uh, Fox and Hen or whatever. Where we're just going to keep developing these encryptions and they're going to keep being broken and we're going to keep going round and round and round. And yeah. I think the problem is it's even riskier in a case where someone thinks their communications are safe and encrypted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But they've been broken. But they that, don't know it. That break has not been made public. Like Skype. Like Skype, right? Uh, you know, yeah. uh, Greenwald mentions in an interview uh, he was in a Skype chat and he told his partner that he had some Snowden data on his laptop, and then the next day his laptop, his house was broken into, and the only thing that was stolen was his laptop. And the only place he had mentioned the other data on there was through a Skype chat. Yeah. So that's you know that's creepy. And once again, we are sad. Well. We are pondering, Mr. Dominic, because the solution I actually think is a little positive. I, where you see it's a cat and mouse game, I see it's an opportunity for developers to create code and for people to market and sell in a way that is sort of like, look at us, we are protecting you from these downsides. Like people, the market will respond in such a way that there will be people that design their systems around avoiding these downfalls and we'll be better off because of that. I think Wouldn't it so. be awesome? Like, okay, can I I, I, maybe so. I'll maybe I'll just rant real real quick before you wrap up. Rant it out. So Microsoft got it the worst this last week. Over the weekend, it came out from the Guardian. Oh that yeah, Microsoft. Yeah, that was bad. Right, and it's not just like Microsoft uh, gave access to all the previous stuff, but it also comes out as Microsoft rolls out new services. They make sure that those backdoors for the NSA are built in as the product rolls out, right? Um, and they say that that's their that's their legal responsibility to be compliant with um, the Patriot Act and several other laws that I'm sure they're held to. That's all fine and good, but now this is just completely at face value, and it could be completely wrong. But then you look at a system like iMessage, that according to Apple at least is encrypted from end to end between the two iPhones. They designed the system in such a way that they could not provide access to it, according to them. Now that might be wrong, but I believe that is the future. For companies that want adoption, for people that want to reach new customers, they're gonna they're gonna build their systems like that because they'll say we're not doing it like those other guys. You want to come to us because we're not doing it like they are. Microsoft how is that possible. If Microsoft is required to have a backdoor, how could Apple not? Well, first of all, I mean, who knows? Maybe Apple does. And second of all, right. I believe it's one of those things where uh, you are you are compelled to provide as much compliance as technically possible based on what your capabilities are. And if, so if Microsoft has access to that stuff, then they are legally responsible to then respond to the warrant. If they, if it is in a sealed vault then and they can't technically respond to it, then they are not legally required to respond to it. it I am guessing. Could be that Apple does have a private key. Who knows? Well, Apple also has root access to your device. Right. Um, well, so does any vendor that can push updates. Yeah, I, I don't... Uh... I, I think don't it just know means we're going to see more apps. I, would, I don't know that I would trust any super-duper technology that claims to be secure. Right, yeah, yeah. 
and I, I still think the safest way to do this is, you know, nine, 90% of stuff you do, you probably don't care about privacy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if my Spotify playlist got leaked, it would be mildly embarrassing. I think it's all, it's not to yeah. interrupt you, but I think you do yeah. need to consider everything you do it does generate signals that can that can be used to sort of pattern your life to see if you make changes to see if you are interrupting your routine everything you do that generates data to an external service in some way can be used well we know that michael was listening to music at 9 a.m on tuesday so he probably wasn't out doing that murder or something like that like everything you know like everything is now data that can be used a little bit to generate a little bit better better of a picture of what you were doing and how you do it and when you do it well isn't that google's whole business model yep (laughs) yep 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 signal generation signal harvesting to paint a picture of you yeah and honestly, it's like if you bring it into your local house, if you bring it to your land, then you don't have to worry about the encryption. You don't have to worry about the metadata. You don't worry about any of that because nobody even knows that my wife and I are having a, a, a chat. Nobody even knows because it never leaves my land. Right. But that's not much for everybody. But I, I honestly think it comes back to I think you see it as a bit of a doom and gloom. We're too late. We're already trapped. And I see it as anytime, anytime any big big player gets disrupted it's because somebody else comes along and offers a way to do it completely differently and i honestly think that this security and this privacy stuff over time is going to be a big differentiator for up-and-comers that they can really stick it you can't google can't compete on that google can't but, compete. But I, obviously I microsoft think... can't either they're they apparently love just bending over for the federal government they can't compete with it either but somebody like DuckDuckGo, who otherwise would never have a chance is now seeing triple traffic numbers but they're not seeing mainstream adoption. And I think that's all these systems fall down when you have to interface with someone who's not using them. Right. So if you're PGPing your email, um, but your mom isn't Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Well, then you have to send her an insecure message and vice versa. Yeah. So I, I just, with without mainstream adoption, I don't really see a huge point. I'll give you an example. Most attorneys, you know, their communications are almost always super private, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the law says you can't tap and can't do any of that crap. Yet most attorneys probably don't know how to PGP their email or encrypt any kind of traffic. Right. They put a, they put a little disclaimer in their signature and call it good. Right. They're not sending Tor, right? They're not doing any kind of data transmission with you via Tor. And I just, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess because we're looking at it from different perspectives, you're more worried about intentional surveillance. Where I'm, I'm just concerned about accidents and incompetence, or, or, or you know, jerk off interns, right? Right. right. You think it's clever to go in and get somebody's photos and maybe embarrassing or pornographic or whatever? I mean, how many times have we hear some young girl's Facebook account was hacked? Right. And or you know, or kids share pictures with each other that they shouldn't be Snapchat, sharing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which kids, by the way. uh, you should know that in a version of a popular mobile phone operating system that's coming out sometime in the fall, the thing that would ha- prevent people from uh, doing something bad with that is no longer there. I know. I can't believe they did that. Yeah. So don't do that. Yeah. You shouldn't be doing it anyway. I'm just don't do it. Yeah. I'm surprised yeah. they did that. That's that was like that's surprising. Yeah. I don't I don't yeah. know why they would have. Anyways, it, it's. I just feel like if you have to deal with the, you know, quote, normals or, or Joe users, you're going to have to accept a level of insecurity. Mm-hmm. And, and most people probably don't care, right? 
I, I, I've made this point before is we're going to have a technical elite who will have, who will, who will enjoy better protections and better so, anonymity. But the question is, if you start using these uh, security measures, are you then yes. an anomaly? Yes. And then are you targeted? Yes. That's why right. we need as many people to do it as possible. Even if they have nothing to hide. That's why when you put a piece of mail in the postal's mail right now, you put it in an envelope. Everybody needs to use an envelope now, so that way the people who are using envelopes don't stand out like a sore thumb. Because I could see, you know, obviously there's a class of people who are are doing things that are illegal that will probably adopt this technology pretty quickly. They already have. Right. To stay out of federal They have been for years. Let's be serious. I mean, come on. Al-Qaeda knew about encryption long before Ed ever came out, right? Right. Uh, unfortunately, would it, would the use of wasn't there a case recently somewhere in Europe where a man was using Tor and was arrested as the suspected uh, child pornographer because he was using Tor? Uh, it does ring a bell. I right? don't remember it the details. Something that yeah. police figured. Well, why are you doing that? Right, right, You're right. And what was he doing? He was doing something silly. He was pirating movies or something. But <laughs> which is actually probably really why they picked him up. <laughs> right, but they, they. I think the warrant. Yeah. They they got the warrant for the other thing so they could kick down a store or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I just I, I wonder if it's gonna be worth it in the long run to do this. Uh, because uh, let me ask you, would you PGP encrypt all your email and encrypt all your traffic if you knew that you were probably going to be under investigation just by virtue of doing that? No, but my counter argument to that would be that's the case. That's the reason to start now is so that way if any point I ever have something to hide, it doesn't look odd that I'm using encryption. That way I'm just always using encryption as part of my workflow. I'm, a, I'm an IT professional and I've worked in the industry for 15 years and I just feel it's best practice to always use encryption. That would be my justification. Now but, you'd have to just, <laughs> but you admit that you may have to justify You might, yeah. I mean, it does. Someone may come to your house and want to talk to you about it. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You you never know. Yeah, I don't uh I, I think we should probably just end it here cuz it's just yeah. getting sad, but Well, it's something to think about and I'd love to hear what people think. Yeah. Uh, especially if people think we're if I, I I am very paranoid that people are thinking I am too paranoid. And I don't know if maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm actually people kind of agree with us. I'd love to hear your your guys' inputs and your thoughts. Uh email us coderadio at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Don't forget we're gonna have a call in show in episode sixty. This calendar, you gotta guys you guys gotta be checking the calendar, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Uh my wife Super Prego could pop any minute. So uh you know a warning to you just a warning to you, you want to check jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar mr dominic where should people find you throughout the week you can find me at dominicm.com there you go that's nice and concise we'll also have links to social profiles and all that jazz don't forget you can join us live over jblive.tv monday 9 a.m noon eastern and jblive.info for the audio version all right everyone well thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode of coda radio we'll see you right back here next week <laughs>